Dear Heavenly Father, uh, Lord, we praise you as the God who is in complete control of all things. Uh, you are the Lord of all, and you rule with absolute authority from your throne over all creation. And so we recognize you, and we worship you, and we choose to trust you afresh. Lord, again, we draw our minds to your wisdom, especially as we see your plan to save. While we were dead in our sins, you made us alive with Christ. You chose to open our eyes to see you and, and open our ears to understand the gospel and open our hearts to, to trust in Jesus. And so, Lord, we praise you for your wisdom and we praise you for your gift of grace, this glorious gift. We join in the chorus of the Psalms saying, Praise the Lord. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. And so today we gather to do just that. Lord, thank you that we still can gather as a church, even under strange conditions and, and split across two congregations. We pray, uh, please keep our gatherings safe. Keep your hand upon us to protect us from the coronavirus. Uh, please give no opportunity for, for people to condemn Christ or his church or to prevent us from gathering. Instead, Lord, please draw people, in fact, to come and to hear the gospel and give glory to Jesus by trusting him and following him with us. Lord, for those of us who are struggling or are weary or are sick, please help us. Where we lack joy, Lord, please help us to trust you to provide all we need and, and to satisfy us. Where we lack assurance, please help us to see you in your faithfulness. Where we lack hope, please stir in us the fresh realisation of all that you have in store for us in Christ Jesus. Lord, we especially pray for, for those of us, uh, part of our church, who face significant struggles at the moment, uh, whether because of health issues like cancer or financial issues because of COVID or, or whatever the case may be. Uh, Sovereign Lord, draw them, please, to trust you and look to you afresh. As they wait for you to bring healing or bring provision or choose to do otherwise, in this time of suffering, Lord, we pray, grow their perseverance that they may be, as your word says, perfect and complete in Christ, lacking in nothing. Finally, Lord, help us today to hear what you have to say to us through your word. Please help Rob to unpack the scriptures faithfully and even more so, help us to listen and respond faithfully. Open our eyes to see wonderful things in your word. And we pray all this in the name of Jesus, who is alone our saviour. Amen. Good morning, everyone. Today's Bible reading is from Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 to 15. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also, you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you, were, and you who were dead in the trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him having forgiven us all of our trespasses. 
by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with, the legal, with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them, and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, church. Name is Rob. If you don't already know me, I would like to meet you and get to know you. Um, I don't know if you have any friends or family members who are just very passionate about particular things like seeing a certain musician at a concert or a movie or, you know, going to see if there's a new movie out or whatever it might be. Uh, and, and they just, they, they're so excited about it and they're so lit up about it. They want you to be excited about it too. They want you to go see the movie or to watch the concert or, or whatever, right? Uh, my mom was like that. Uh, you know, she was just, she was like the evangelist for different movies that would come out, you know, just, just have you seen the new, you know, whatever. And it was always something like every two weeks. And so, no, I haven't. And she put her hand to her mouth. You haven't? No, I'm not exaggerating. You have to go see. And she was just so passionate about, you have to go see this movie because it was the best one as the other one was two weeks ago. But, right, she just, you have to. And she was like that with certain concerts as well. She loved country. Bless her heart. She loved country music. And... Um, You know, where have you been? And, and you have to go see him in concert and, and all this stuff. So, um, but whenever someone is excited about something, it, it piques our interest, doesn't it? Yeah, why, why, are they, why are they so excited about something? And, and you almost sort of feel like, well, I feel like I'm kind of missing something. Like they're, like they're really excited about it. I feel like I should go experience that too, right? Well, evidently in the church in Colossae, there were people running around and they were saying, oh, I know you got Jesus, but you want the real deal? You got to tap into this. You want real fullness? You want real spiritual experience? You got to do this. And, and we saw last week, right, that Paul says, no, 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 no. You don't have to do anything. It's not Jesus plus. All the fullness is in Jesus, actually. And we are full. We are complete if we are in him. Do you remember that last week? How Paul talks about that? So that sounds good and all, right? All the fullness is in Jesus and we're full if we're in him. Yay. But Man, that sounds good, but what does that mean, really? I mean, what does that look like? Well, Paul teases that out for us in verse 11 and following. He doesn't just say, you're complete in him. Let's all go have a coffee and go home. But he actually teases that out. And the way he does it is really two points. First... In Christ, in him, we have complete salvation. Second, in Christ, we have complete victory. Complete salvation and complete victory, or full salvation and full victory. That's where we are headed this morning. That's our roadmap for today. Complete salvation and complete victory cemented in Christ. You hear that? Cemented in Christ. So, if you have your Bibles, you can join me in just a moment in verse 11. But before we do, let's ask the Lord's blessing on this time. Father, we do need you now. Specifically, we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would 
work in our hearts. Help us to see completeness in Christ. And Lord, maybe for the first time, would you grant salvation for those that are in this room who don't know you, that you would be glorified by it, that you'd do a miracle this morning. In Christ's name, amen. So I'm not gonna lie. When you look at verse 11, as Reynard just read it, it's a bit of a mouthful, would you agree? I mean... Wow, what is going on here? And, and I, I want to try to attempt to explain it. So if you're there already with me, join, join with me in Colossians 2, verse 11, as we try to make sense of it. You ready? Here we go. So he says, In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. Woo! Good night. There are a number of images here which can easily, easily become a muddled mess, right? I mean, you've got circumcision, you've got baptism, you've got dead and raised, and what's going on, and who's saying what, and who's acting on who, and Right? And depending on how you're wired, you might simply gloss over these in your Bible reading time. Oh, yeah, 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 blah, 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 blah. Okay, whatever. Or you might be more detail-oriented and sort of get lost in all of these specifics, depending on how you're wired, right? Here's the deal, though. Here's the big picture. When you boil it all down, the main thrust here is having a close relationship with Jesus. It's that simple. So close that your life and his are basically intertwined, interlocked. If you're a Christian, you are united with Christ. You have union with Christ. Not in the sense that you turn into Jesus or that you become God or something like that, or he turns into you. But when you are converted or born again, you enter into what's called a covenantal relationship with Jesus, where all the benefits of his life and his death flow to you. Your life is in him. Did you hear what I said? In him. In Christ. That's the point, really. All right, so let's do a little experiment together. If you're keen, if you're awake. Let's do a little experiment here. With that said, and that in view, that's the point. In Christ, union with him. Let's put on those glasses, those in Christ, in him glasses. And let's now skim this verse one more time and see if that key phrase pops out at you, okay? Sound good? Pick up with me, actually, to get the flow of it, pick up with me in verse nine. Notice this. Notice this, this in him language, this with him language. He says... For in him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him, through your faith in the powerful working of God and raised from the dead. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers 
and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Now, can you see the big banner over this text? It's a big banner that writes union with Christ in him. So it's easy to get lost in the details of circumcision and baptism and death and resurrection and disarming authorities and blah, 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 all these like words. But the main banner over all of this says union with Christ. Like if I was do doing the little doodle stuff up there, that's yeah, probably, you know, you could put that over union with Christ. Now, is that, is that helpful? Okay, that said, let's pretend for a moment that I say something like this. Listen, church. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, I have something really, really critical to tell you right now about salvation. Are you ready? I mean, are you ready? And you go, okay, and, and everyone's sort of, you know, on the edge of your seat. And I go, but first, a word on male circumcision. Like, some of you would blush by that. Some of you would think I'm a bit crude or awkward. Some of you would think I'm a bit crazy. But that's what Paul does, right? How does he explain the significance of our salvation. He goes, his mind tracks right to this idea of circumcision in verse 11. Can you see it? He says, in him, right? There it is again. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Now, in the year 2020, I don't imagine on the Central Coast, I mean, I've only lived here two years now, but I don't imagine that the big hot topic in all the cafes right now and all of the, you know, conversations happening is about male circumcision. Right? Probably not. So when we read a verse like this, it's probably somewhat foreign, distant, and maybe even a bit awkward at first glance, right? But at the same time, look, when, when Paul is writing this, circumcision ultimately defined who is in and who is out. It was part and parcel of the Jewish culture. I mean, every Jewish boy was circumcised on the eighth day after his birth. It was a sign that he belonged to the covenant people of God. Going all the way back, how did God distinguish his people? Abraham, right? Circumcision. And so Paul picks up this well-known practice and applies it to salvation. And by the way, he's talking not about physical circumcision there. Did you, did you catch that? Without hands. Well, you, how could you circumcise without hands? You can't do it without hands. So he's what's he talking about there? It's metaphorical, right? It's symbolic. It's, it's spiritual circumcision. Basically, what happened to us when we were born again? You might have noticed in verse 13, he talks about the uncircumcision of your flesh. He brings it up again. You see that in verse 13? the uncircumcision of your flesh, describing our spiritual condition before we came to Christ. Before this happened, we were enveloped by the sinful flesh. We were people who were fallen and could not please God because we were dominated by this fleshly way of thinking and living, you see. But all that changed when God converted us. That flesh gets stripped off 
as it were. Before I became a Christian, um, I was an extremely selfish person. And I could really, uh, I could really care less about people, to be honest. Um, as long as I had my sport. Like if you, if you were having a bad day, I don't care. Like if, if your parent just died, so what? Like if you broke your leg, whatever, you were the dummy that did that. I could, I could care less. I could care less about you. I could care less about your family. I could care less about your happiness. I care if you're happy, fine, whatever. I don't care. I have me and I have my sport. For me, it was the skateboard at my time. That's all I need. Now, some people would look at that and say, oh, what happened to him? What happened to him? He lacks compassion. He must, he must be throwing up walls as if like some kind of a defense mechanism to hide from being hurt. You know, honestly, thankfully, I grew up in a safe suburban land in Southern California with a relatively hardworking family who loved me. Parents who stayed together. So what was it then? It's my, it was my sinful nature. I, I was totally dominated by it. 100%. I was a slave to my sin. I needed to be made new. I needed spiritual heart surgery. Did you hear that? I needed heart surgery, literally, spiritually speaking. And then when I was, in seven, when I was 17, God did that. God saved me. I was never seeking God. God saved me. He circumcised my heart. He forgave my sin and made me a new creation. And you know what? Now I see people created in the image of God as souls who need to hear the gospel, that the message that in Christ they too can have completeness in him and salvation and him and forgiveness of their sins. I, 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 that's not me just trying to find, like I could give you illustration after illustration. You don't need that. I don't need, we don't need to go into those things, but I am not the same person. I never was the good little Baptist boy that grew up in church, and I'm just trying to be a good little Baptist boy now working at Wyoming Church of Christ. Like, I hated everything to do with the Bible and Christians. Everything. Would love nothing more than to see you guys snuffed out. You understand that? And outside of the grace of God, I would still be the same way. I would not give a rip about you at all. But now I find myself randomly saved by God, transformed by his grace alone, living on the central coast in another country. And I pray for you guys and I love you guys. And I'm beyond that too. You know, see, I want to see souls. I want to see people wander Christ. You, heaven is real. Hell is real. I, I don't know what you think this whole thing is, is that this is just a big fat gimmick where we come here and sort of lick each other's wounds. Heaven is real. Hell is real. Life is short. We, there are people right now that need to hear the gospel in your neighborhood. And some of you right now are not saved and you need to turn to Christ. You can have your sins wiped out forgiven. And you know, what excites me is to see you guys energized to do that, is equipping the saints for the works of ministry. Why am I here right now? I want to see souls won, but I want to see you guys built up. 
I want to see you guys equipped to go share the gospel. Look, I, there's people you're interacting with that I will never have a chance to interact with. You know that? And just the fact that I'm a pastor and I'm a foreigner or whatever, they probably won't talk with me. Or they might be polite, but that's as far as it can go. Like, I don't know people at your work. I may walk past them unbeknownst to me in the errand affair or whatever, but I don't know them. You know them. You're rubbing shoulders with them. Are they going to hear this message? They're dominated by their sinful nature. They need, it's not just a matter of turning a leaf, you understand? They need to be converted. And that's what Paul's talking about. A circumcision of the heart. You understand that if you're a Christian, you are united to Christ so that his death becomes your death. In other words, what's true of him is true of you. You die to your old life and his resurrection life becomes yours, your new life. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Hear that on both sides of the spectrum, friends. Hear that as, oh, that gives me hope. Yes, I hope it does. But, oh, we're going to come here. We're going to love you warts and all. Yes, and we're going to just surgically remove those sinful warts because we love you. This is not a place where you just come and just get to swim in your sin. We want to see you turn from it and crucify it. We want to see you grow in holiness. Because you're a new creation in Christ. You're not yourself. You're a new creature. You see, if this is true of you, then all of your spiritual needs, if you're a new creation, if that's true of you, all of your spiritual needs have been met. You are complete in him. Which is what he gets at in the next verse. This idea of buried with him in baptism. You see it in verse 12? He says, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith. That's a key there. You see that? Through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. Boy, I'm tempted to go on some rabbit trails here. You know, in Pilgrim's Progress, who's read Pilgrim's Progress? Let's show hands. Go sell all you have and go buy Pilgrim's Progress and go read it. There's a modernized one that Crossway published. It's pretty good. He's going to have little cool pictures of it. But I kind of felt like, Dan, Dan might appreciate this because he preaches. I kind of felt like in Christ, Christians, uh, he's, going on the, he's trying to stay on the King's Highway to the Celestial City. And there's all these enticements, right? There's worldly wise men and there's all these people. I felt like I just need to stay on union with Christ, union with Christ. Ignore all the historical arguments here about baptism and ignore that. What does the circumcision of Christ mean? Is that objective or subjective? No gram grammar man, I'm going to leave you alone. I'm just going to stay on this straight and narrow path about completeness in Jesus. <laughs> It's probably really awkward because I have no idea what I'm talking about. But baptism. Baptism here. What does baptism do? Well, ba baptism, when we see it, the symbol of it here, the outward expression, it's an outward expression of an inward commitment to Christ, right? But there's spiritual baptism happening of what Paul's referring to. Because I actually don't think, as much as I am a dyed-in-the-wool Southern Baptist, no shame about that. There's not Southern Baptist here. So I'll show that. But I am like dyed-in-the-wool, right? So I went to a school called the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. So that's going to be me to the day I die. So as much as I'm dyed-in-the-wool of that, I don't, I don't actually think he all of a sudden shifts gears here and he's talking about, if he's not talking about physical circumcision. I don't think he's talking about now physical baptism. I think they're both metaphors, actually. I think they're both spiritual actions here of what he's talking about. Because baptism dramatically portrays what happens spiritually. 
I mean, yes, it's an, it's an outward symbol of an inward commitment, right? Your old self of unbelief and rebelliousness towards God dies, is buried, and a new you emerges, a new you of faith and submission to Christ as Lord, where you treasure him. You see, baptism paints a picture of this spiritual reality. It, it's faith that unites us to Christ, and baptism symbolizes this union. For instance, at weddings, at least I hope would still be, people often exchange vows, right? I did with my wife 15 years ago. If I can get this thing off with this ring, I thee wed. Why are we talking King James? Don't know. It just sounds cool. But with this ring, I thee wed. Now, the ring doesn't make me married. The covenant that I made between God watching as my witness and my wife entering into a covenant relationship with her, that's what makes me married. This doesn't make me married. And when I place this on my finger, it doesn't make me married. The covenant that I made with my wife, that is my marriage covenant. So it's the same with faith and baptism. Let me read a, a, a quick text from Romans 6. Paul says, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So it's the same idea of heart circumcision, really. This idea of baptism, the same, it's another metaphor, carries this idea of Buried, your old life dies, and you rise a new person, as it were. Because in Christ, we have completeness. Like, wouldn't it be silly if after all of that, I now said, so here's the key to the Christian life, and I added something else. You'd be like, huh? What more do you need? I mean, you've been circumcised, you've been buried, raised with Christ. That's, that's sort of, you got it, right? That's complete. Christ is all sufficient. That's the point. That's the point. Now we have in Christ, here's our second point, in Christ we have complete victory. Here's the deal. At the cross, Jesus defeated our two greatest enemies, sin and Satan. Sin and Satan. The first enemy is found in verse 13 and 14. Can you see it there? The first enemy is called the certificate of death. I'll show you what I mean by that. Verse 13. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our, trans, all our trespasses by canceling the requirements the record of death that stood against us with its legal demands. Record, sorry. Because of our sin and rebellion, the laws of God had become a deadly witness against us. It was an IOU that we could not repay. There was no escape. Dan gives this illustration quite often about showing you the movie of your life right? Who's, who's heard Dan give that illustration? I've heard him give it twice in the two years I've been here. It's a good illustration. I'm not teasing you, man. It's, like it's a good illustration. We can't, you have to understand, on Judgment Day, yes, you've sinned against other people, but like ultimately you've offend, your sin offends God. Do you understand that? Your sin offends God. And God's not just going to look at you at Judgment Day if you are outside of Jesus and go, oh, mate, I'm really disappointed. I'm just really disappointed. No, you sinned against God. It's judgment time. 
And he, he, you can't blame it and say, yeah, 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 but look, my dad, oh, he was such a rat bag. So I just can't help now because my dad was the worst guy. You knew that, God, and, and that's why I acted, that's why I became such a bad person. You're accountable for your own sin. Do you understand that? When tempted, no one should say, God has tempted me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone, but each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he is dragged away and enticed. <laughs> then after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin when it's full grown gives birth to death. When we sin, it's not like God is there like Robin Williams going, it's not your fault. It's not your fault. It's not your fault. Come on, Will. It's not your fault. You look at the Bible and what does the Bible say? It's your fault. You have sinned against God. Sure, you, your dad might have been a rat bag, but you're still accountable for your sin. You have offended God. There's an IOU, a debt now, and heaven's judgment is on you. What are you going to do? You know, in Roman crucifixion, the crimes of the person being crucified was often nailed at the top of their cross. This person is being crucified for insurrection. This person's being crucified for murder. This person's being crucified for whatever. And you hear what Paul's saying here? All of our sin, the IOU, all of that, is nailed to Jesus' cross. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, was nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. In Christ, we have complete victory from sin's curse. Now, Paul could have ended there. That's, that's good news, amen? Paul could have ended there, and he could have said, that's it. Enemy defeated, number one, sin. Let's go have a coffee. But he doesn't end there. Do you notice that? He gives now the consequence result, the byproduct of that reality. Did, did you hear what I said? So it's like, since this has been done, now the logical entailment that flows from it, the consequence from this reality is defeating Satan. Which sounds kind of, unless you, I mean, you might have grown up in a Pentecostal church where you hear that kind of stuff all the time. But if you didn't, or you didn't even grow up in church at all, you're kind of like, defeated Satan? Is that the dude in the red pajama suit with, you know, running around poking people with his pitchfork? What's that even mean? defeated Satan. Well, look at verse 15. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him or in the cross. The second enemy defeated was the host of evil spiritual beings, the devil and his forces. And you see, once victory had been achieved, like a Roman general, the Lord made a public spectacle, a public display of his foes. You know, if you, we lived in Roman times and there was a general and he went out and fought a battle, he would capture some of the other generals. And on their, they would, they'd execute them, but prior to their execution, they'd parade them through the streets to say, we defeated these guys. We whooped them. They're weak. They're nothing. And people would cheer and line up on the streets and say, yay, you know, governor, or sorry, yay, you know, general so-and-so or whoever, hail that general, blah, 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 because he fought the battle for us, right? And what's Paul getting at here? He's saying, when Christ was on the cross at Calvary, he defeated Satan. He destroyed the demonic host, which is interesting because often we see the cross of Christ as we should 
first and foremost as Christ as passive, right? He's being acted upon. Who's he being acted upon? Well, the father, right? He is the sin bearer, correct? But simultaneously, he is proactively in his death destroying Satan. So through that act, he kills, destroys, as it were, disarms the demonic host. When he did, had disarmed the authorities, he says. Now, it's true, though, because some of you go, okay, that's fine, but wait, there's, the devil didn't go out of existence. No, we still, as Ephesians 6 says, we still wrestle against flesh and blood. We, there still is a demonic realm out there, but the battle belongs to the Lord. And the decisive blow has been struck at Calvary. Satan cannot ultimately destroy us because of Christ's work. Because in Christ, we have complete salvation. And in Christ, we have complete victory. You don't have to worry about a devil hiding behind the corner. If you're in Christ, you have complete victory. That, that's really encouraging. I find that extremely encouraging. Christ is the victor. He is the conqueror. Sometimes we have this view of Jesus as just the dude with long hair and the flowy white robe and poor bloke, he got struck up by the Romans, but we don't see him as the conqueror, do we? You know, he is the victorious conqueror. I was thinking if I ever uh, do another men's retreat, oh, well, I'll probably get a guest speaker again because apparently when I get guest speakers, everyone remembers them more than me, which is fine. Um, no, I'm kidding. No, but um, one of the th themes I'd love to do for authentic, you don't know, talk authentic manhood, is looking to Christ as our great victor, our ultimate battle winner, our ultimate conqueror, that in him we are complete He's won the battle for us. I mean, that's way better than William Wallace. It's way better than any of the other blokes out there. Christ, you know, some of these other heroes that we look to in Hollywood movies are just either made up or even, even, the, even the strongest warriors, they still die, right? I mean, William Wallace, how'd it go for him? His head got put on London Bridge. <laughs> to end. Sorry. You know what I mean? Like, it's not good, right? But, but like Christ, Christ was slain and death could not defeat him, hold him down. He destroys death. He conquers death and now lives and reigns. I want to follow that warrior. I want that warrior to be my Lord, my Savior, the conqueror. Hope you don't misunderstand me, by the way. I don't mean in a, uh, you know, that might sound, I get militaristic, and it's not what I'm saying, spiritually speaking, for the caveat there. Any thoughts as we, any questions as we close up here? I, I did, yeah, I, since no one's raising their hand, I did, <laughs> Judy, can I embarrass you for a second? I did write a paper on this, actually. Um, I feel like that's all I say on Sunday mornings. I wrote a paper on this, and if you'd like to come read my paper, you can. So don't everyone rush up here at once. Actually, I didn't print it out. Um, but it's a, one of the things I did. I did write a paper on It's probably not my best paper, but so I'm really selling this thing here. But um, the, the thing that I struggle with is you don't hear, correct me if I'm wrong, but you don't hear this idea of Christ the conqueror over Satan and the demonic realm very much, do you? No, you don't. Like, you might hear more of a tinge of that in some charismatic Pentecostal churches, fine, fine, fine. But generally speaking, like in evangelical churches, you don't really hear it very often, do you? And when you hear the idea of the atonement, it's usually almost always the idea of 
what's called substitutionary atonement, Jesus in the place of sinners, which is right and good and should be the center. But I feel like maybe this idea of Christ the conqueror needs to get a little bit more airtime when we talk about the atonement. If you're interested more in that, come see me. I'll give you a paper. (laughs) Oh, good on you, Judy. Wow. So Judy read a paper uh, on church polity. So does the Bible prescribe for us how we're supposed to run church? Or is it just up for grabs? I think it prescribes. I think it's really airtight, stinking clear how we're supposed to run church, actually. But I may not have convinced Judy of that by the paper. I don't know. We'll see. She can yell at me later about it. But if you're interested in that paper, yeah, no more papers. Good grief. So anyone else, though, any other questions about? Hopefully you find this really encouraging. I do. Completeness in Christ and complete victory in him? What more do we need? Nothing. We have the all-sufficient Christ. Amen? And if you do, and you're united to him, this is a time to remember that. This is a time to, when we take the wafer, to remember Christ. Yeah, Ross, you can come up here. So as Dan, you can remember Christ's body broken for us. When you take the juice, you remember his blood poured out for your sins. So if that's you and you're in Christ, let's celebrate that together. If you're not, let the items just go past you. But reflect on why, why is that that's happening? It's a really serious moment. So as the helpers come forward to pass out the elements, go ahead and, as Ross explained earlier, I think, take off the little wrapping bits and then hold on to them together, and we'll, we'll take them together as a church family. the 
nails upon his hands, bearing all the guilt of sinful man. God eternal, humble to the grave, Jesus Savior, risen now to Good song. Really good choice. <clears throat> On the night when Jesus was portrayed, he took bread, and after breaking it, he gave thanks, and he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take and eat. In the same way, he took the cup, and he says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. Thanks for that this morning, Rob. Great challenge. And encourage you to, to read over that passage again and to be challenged and to, and to encourage one another as well. So as I said, find a way to meet up with someone, whether that's in person or over the phone, chat about this, encourage one another to be in Christ. Um, just a quick reminder as you leave, we do need people to leave promptly in your cars and, and head out and um, so that we, our cleaning team can come in. But as you go, I'm going to read from Ephesians chapter 3. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Amen.